It's time for Dodger baseball. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! There it goes! See ya! The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. Off the Air returns another episode diving into the legacy of WFUV Sports with some of its most prominent alumni, Nick DeLuca, joined by Alex Wolves and Alex as big as big can get in terms of this week's guest, Mike Breen, the voice of the NBA on ESPN, TV voice of the Knicks entering his 30th season as an NBA broadcaster and really a legend in this industry. Good to be with you, Nick. Good to be back. And I think, you know, we always get excited about doing interviews. It's one of my favorite things about FUV and what we do is talking to people and, and hearing their stories and, and being a sponge to some of the information. But there's really no one, like you said, more special than Mike Breen, you know, growing up big NBA fans. That's really the voice of the NBA. He's been for our entire lives for the finals. And like you said, nothing bigger than this, nothing more special than this. And excited to talk to Mike with you today. And certainly interested to get his perspective on any number of things, not the least of which his experience at WFUV, knowing the cast of characters with him, Michael Kay, a former classmate, knowing that they have been friends for close to 40 years and just how Mike got through his start and his early time building to the legend that he is today. You mentioned Michael Kay, and we, we had Michael Kay on the podcast actually last time around, and there's always a story going back and forth, who ran into who, who approached who, yeah. how did they go? So I'm excited for Mike to unpack that for us. But like you said, Nick, I mean, we, we understand being here, the relationships that you build with everybody and how special that is. And, and it's always been impressive to me with FUV, how much is this is different over the years, but how much is still the same? And I'm, I'm sure Mike will have a lot of those stories about calling games at the Rose Hill Gym, just like you do about broadcasting one-on-one and doing all the great things that, that FUV has, has been known to do over the years. And of course... After leaving WFUV on his professional journey to the Knicks, 30 years for him upcoming this following season. And just to get some of the stories about his time early on graduating to calling the NBA finals on ESPN and how Fordham helped him get to that level. And I think the question, you know, that I always am curious about, and I'm sure you are too, is how do you get there? You know, how do you start from being a Fordham broadcaster, being an FUV, being in our shoes to getting to be the voice of the Knicks, the voice of the NBA finals. And, you know, everybody's journey is different. I'm really excited to hear what Mike's is and a lot of the, the roadblocks and the, the detours along the way and how he ultimately got there and excited to just unpack all of that and, and spend some time with him today. We'll dive into the legacy of WFUV sports with Mike Breen. This week on Off the Air... Mike Breen. Mike graduated Fordham in 1983 and worked extensively with Fordham Athletics in play-by-play as well as reporting and hosting for one-on-one. During his time at FUV, he grew close with Michael Kay, voice of the New York Yankees, as they both dreamed of one day being in the positions they are in today. Mike Breen did not start out with the Knicks broadcast but instead worked his way up from Poughkeepsie, New York, where he worked for WEOK, WPDH Radio. From 1988 to 2000, Breen worked for the fan on the Imus in the Morning Show. Mike has worked four Olympic Games as a play-by-play announcer for NBC Sports in their coverage of men's and women's basketball in 1996, 2000, 
2004, and 2008. Breen has also done NFL play-by-play for NBC and Fox. In 1991, Mike began his long career in association with the New York Knicks, calling Knicks games on the radio for WFAN. Then came 1998, where Breen began working with MSG Networks as the Knicks television broadcaster, a role he still has today as he is entering his 24th season. In total, he has called NBA basketball for 30 years and counting. In 2003, Mike joined ESPN's NBA team to call the NBA Finals and NBA Saturday Primetime a record-setting 15 times. He continues to work for ESPN as well, now in his 18th year. Mike was recently inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and received the Kurt Gowdy Media Award on May 14th of 2021. Welcome to the Off the Air Podcast with Mike Breen. Mike, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today. Nick and Alex, it's it's my pleasure. Just just when you said FUV, I was trying to think of the first time I walked into the uh, to the offices of FUV, and it's that's forty two years ago. <laughs> so things have changed quite a bit, but there's also a lot of things that are exactly the same. But it's really nice to be with you. Well, thank you for doing this, Fordham class of nineteen eighty three, and as you mentioned, a little while since you had first come in and walked the halls. Why did you want to come to Fordham? And when did you know you wanted to be a part of WFUV? Well, obviously, um, the radio station was the number one reason why Fordham was chosen for me. The interesting thing, though, Nick, was my senior year in high school. Uh, and back then, you didn't commit when you were a junior. It was like February or March, and I wasn't yet definitively set on where I was going to go. But I wanted to go away to college. And I lived in Yonkers and my drive from my house to Fordham was about 14 minutes. So for me, that wasn't going away to college. And I was hell bent on going to the University of Hartford. And I was all set and they had a communications program and they had a college radio station. And I happened to go visit the college and I think I picked the worst possible day. School was out, it was on some kind of winter break. It was maybe three degrees that day up in Hartford. And I walked around the campus and it just, it felt awful. And it had nothing to do with the school. It was more of the weather day. And, and sometimes I, I give thanks for having a weather day like that because I, I decided I can't go here. It's just too cold. I just don't like the feel. And I said, all right, I'll stay at home four more years. I'll commute to college and I'll go to Fordham because I know it's got this great communications program, but mainly because of FUV. That's the number one reason why I went to Fordham. And, um, and it turned out to be such a great decision for me uh, because as you guys know, uh, those four years, I learned so much about the business and I, I realized that it was a business that I very much wanted to be a part of. You mentioned that when you were looking at colleges, communications and broadcasting was already in your head, but let's backtrack a little bit before that and kind of when you were growing up and your experience with sports, what kind of made broadcasting stick out to you and be a career that you wanted to pursue when you were looking for colleges? Well, Alex, like a, a lot of uh, kids my age, I wanted to play professional sports. I played in high school on both the baseball and basketball team and loved it and was thinking, you know, maybe maybe I could go on and play in college. But I realized by my senior year in high school, I wasn't good enough to play on the collegiate level. Um, but in my neighborhood growing up, we used to play wiffle ball every day during the summer. 
and on that block was a guy who was in college. His name was Tony Minicola, and he went to New York Tech. And he was part of the radio station at New York Tech. And during the hot days when the wiffle ball game would, you know, would play three or four in a row and wanted to take a break, we would go sit in his basement. And he had built his own little radio station in his basement. And he was the DJ and he would play records. And I started kind of watching him a little bit more. And I thought, wow, this looks like it's fun to do or broadcasting. And he let me try it a bit. And that's what gave me the bug. And when I finally got to high school and I, I figured, okay, I, I can't play on the collegiate level, but maybe broadcasting. And he was the one that put the bug into my ear. So I started thinking about broadcasting and I wasn't sure if I was going to be a sportscaster or a DJ. I thought I could be a good disc jockey as well. And I was willing to try it. So that was the initial bug that was put into my, put into my head back then. So you know you want to go into broadcasting. WFUV is the choice. And the cast of characters for you when you walk on campus is significant. Michael Kay included in that. What do you remember about meeting him? And what has his friendship been like going forward since you left WFUV? Well, <laughs> we've, been, we've been best friends now for over 40 years. Uh, and I, he's instrumental in why I stayed with it. Uh, I've told this story before. But when I was a freshman and I walked in, we used to have these workshops like every freshman had to do. You had to take the workshops and learn about the equipment, learn about broadcasting in order to get a chance to be on the air. And I would go and I was I was pretty shy back then, a little bit of an introvert and kind of quiet. And I just wasn't comfortable in the early going. Uh, and it was more, again, because of me and my personality, whereas others seemed so much more comfortable. So. There was part of me thinking, I don't know, this is not working. I don't feel right. Um, and, and it wasn't the upperclassmen. They were great and they were, you know, they did the right thing. I just felt uneasy there. And I was thinking maybe this isn't for me. And then one day I happened to walk in and there's this guy and he's having an argument with um, one of the female members of the FUV staff and they're screaming at each other. And it's all in fun. It's not nothing angry, but they're screaming at each other. And he's kind of saying to in effect, I know you want to date me. I know I'm your kind of guy. And she's screaming back at him. If you were the last guy on earth, I wouldn't date you. And it was so funny. And I'm thinking, boy, this guy's got a great sense of humor. And I figured, all right, let me just go up and see if I can become friends with him. And I, I introduced myself to him and I told him I was a freshman. And uh, he immediately introduced me to six of his buddies who were standing next to him. And that changed everything. It changed everything. Uh, I felt like I had friends there, especially him. And I don't know if I would have returned if, if I didn't run into him and, and he ingratiated himself in terms of teaching me everything. But that turned everything around for me. And we've been, like I said, we've been best friends ever since. You mentioned running into Mike, Michael at the workshop, and it's kind of similar to a lot of relationships that we have with each other at the station now. But I'm curious, you know, that's something obviously that stayed over the years is our workshops. But when you mentioned walking into the doors at FUV for the first time, how can you kind of describe the experience there when you were a freshman? What type of work were you doing at the station? And, and how could you describe those, those years while you were there? Well, I, I knew nothing really about the business except from what I knew from my friend's basement in spinning records. So my initial thing was, okay, maybe I could be a disc jockey. They had uh, and again, back in those days, the students were on air 24-7. Uh, the students ran the station. And they had an overnight rock block show that would go from 11 a.m. to 6 a.m. They had a morning music show. They had an afternoon drive music show. So there was a lot more opportunities to, do a, to be a DJ than sportscasting because there were a lot of sportscasters there, young sportscasters, older ones, 
Um, so I, I went in not knowing really anything and the workshops were so helpful. Um, another guy that I, I just can't thank enough the impact he had was Dave D'Alessandro, who turned out to be uh, just a, a wonderful sports writer for a long time, worked for the Newark Star-Ledger and the Bergen Record. And he was a senior at the time. And he was the guy that, that, that taught me so much about writing for radio, about editing tape, about how you know, to, to project your voice, all kinds of things that I really didn't know a lot about. And, and he was instrumental. So those were the things you did early. You did this, you, you tried to write out a sportscast. Uh, you tried to edit a tape to get a, a soundbite that you would use in that sportscast and stuff that I had never done. And even just the little differences in how to write uh, for the printed word as opposed to the, to the broadcast word. Uh, and then, you know, uh, it started from there. But it was just, when I went in, Alex, I, I knew nothing about the business. And that's why that place was so important to me. Because after four years, um, you feel not only did you know about the business, but you almost felt like you were a step ahead of other college kids who came out. I was probably wrong on that, but that's the kind of confidence it gave you. As you go in and you continue to learn, you graduated to doing some more significant opportunities, whether it be calling Fordham men's basketball. Was there something that stuck out to you as one of your favorite parts of your WFUV experience, whether it be covering a game or calling a game? Well, I, I tell you what, the most memorable thing that ever happened to me at FUV had nothing to do with sports. Um, it was a Monday night and I was home uh, in my house in Yonkers and I was supposed to do the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. broadcast of the Rock Block. And um, there was a, a woman who was doing the 11 to 2, a fellow student, and uh, she called me, I'm going to say about 10 o'clock that night, and she was in tears. She was crying. She was really upset. And she asked me, could I fill in for her on the 11 to 2 since I was going in anyway? So I would do the 11 to 6. Well, back then, you know, you took any air shift you could get. It was like, wow, this is great. I felt terrible. She was crying. I finally said to her, I said, well, are you OK? And she says, no. She goes, well, you didn't hear the news. And that was the night John Lennon was shot. Uh, and she was such a huge Beatles fan and such a Lennon fan that she felt emotionally she could not go on the air. So I got in my car again, 14 minutes away. I drove over and right before I got on the air, one of the seniors called me and he said, he said, listen, just play Beatles music all night long. Every three songs, rip a copy from the AP and give the latest update on John Lennon being shot and, and um, you know, the various news outlets that, that were reporting on it. So I started the show and I started on the Beatles and the phone was off the charts in terms of being all night. And I would pick up the phone and I know this is a long story, but this is what sticks with me. I pick up the phone and, and the people on the other end, they weren't just requesting Beatles music. They were talking about how Beatles music made such an impact in their life. Um, and it was like, I met my, my, my wife uh, that night listening to a Beatles song. Somebody once one call and he said, um, I was ready to commit suicide. And then I listened to a, a John Lennon song and it turned me around and it was one emotional outpouring call after another to the point where I was getting emotional on the other end and it was too much for me to handle it was overwhelming and I wound up calling one of the seniors and I said uh, listen there's something going on here that that I've never experienced never been a part of and really don't know how to deal with so they came in the seniors came in and they wound up starting putting these calls on the air and it was just it was it was just a memorable night with uh, people talking about what the music of the Beatles 
and the music of John Lennon, the impact it had on them, on their lives. And it's the first time I really realized that the power of music. Um, and they wound up for the whole night uh, playing a few songs, putting these people on the air. And it was a special night on radio in a tragic circumstance. And that for me is the most memorable night that I, or memorable event that I had while I was at FUV. It's interesting that you talk about a moment that outside of sports kind of sticking out to you. And I'm kind of want to take that in now to what's happening now and kind of like a year ago now, when you talk about what happened with the pandemic and you always tell an interesting story about that, where the first night where the NBA was kind of getting hit by this, you kind of had a hard time focusing on the game and keeping your head there. And I'm just curious for you, when you think back to that time and what it was like calling basketball games then, and then obviously how it transpired with the bubble and then obviously to getting fans back at the garden and just the overall, just how the events have transpired over the past year and your overall perspective on that. Well, that night, especially, Alex, we, we were in Atlanta doing a Nick game, and um, we get the, the notice at halftime that the season is going to be suspended. And nobody knew what, we were, what was in store for us. Um, but I remember talking to, to Clyde Wall Frazier and our producer, uh, Spencer Julian, and saying, yeah, this, this is not so good, but you know, we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks. That's what we thought. We were going to be back to work in a couple of weeks. And uh, you, very quickly, you got the feeling, no, this, this is something much bigger than that. And I, I was so distracted on the air by what this means, not just for me, but for everybody involved on how, you know, the whole NBA is going to be put on hold and the impact that has on so many different people, not just the broadcasters, the people that work at the arenas, obviously the players and the coaches. This was going to have an enormous impact. And I was really distracted on the air. And I think I even apologized that night uh, to the viewers and say, I, I, I apologize. I'm not at my best. I'm, I'm distracted and it's taken away from um, the, to me, the, the, the standard of the broadcast that I had hoped to achieve every night. And uh, it was something I'd never been a part of. And then obviously it just, it went away for a long, long time. And it gave you perspective, like anything um, like that, it gives you a big picture perspective and learning what's important. Uh, but from a broadcasting standpoint, uh, I, I think the number one over the past year, the number one thing that I, I felt I knew, but I didn't know just how important, the importance of fans in what we do. Um, this, the phrase that I, I heard very early, and it's so true, is that the fans are the oxygen of pro sports. And that's the case. It wasn't as fun to do the games. It wasn't as fun to watch the games. Um, and I know for a fact from talking to players and coaches, it wasn't as fun to play and coach the games. And, and you really miss that. And it, it's, it shows you that it's all part of that family of, of what we do. And obviously a lot of other things. And it's still, uh, you know, still the unseen is ahead of us. We don't know, we don't know exactly what's, what's ahead, but um, it really showed you the importance of the big picture. Finally able to get things back in action this year with some fans in the stands. One of your trademarks, of course, the bank call, and to do that with fans in the stands, I know the origin of that starts at Fordham. Could you give us a little insight on that? All right, well, I'll tell you this, Nick. The bank call sounded pretty hollow in the bubble. <laughs> you know, I down there, but without the fans screaming behind you, it's like, man, that just, that just doesn't sound right. Um, so it's, it's been unbelievable. I actually got emotional, uh, the first garden game, uh, where they brought the fans back and especially the first playoff game, uh, because just having that buzz in the building again, and it was like our family reunion. Uh, I'm sure you guys, you know, you saw all the videos of people who hadn't seen their mothers or fathers or their families for months because of the pandemic. And then they shot a video when they were able to visit 
and everybody's crying. It was like that at the garden where it was like your Nick family. Everybody was back. And there was such emotion that, that before game one of the playoffs that there were people in the stands crying and I, my, my eyes welled up as well. It's just, um, you know, sports, you know, in the grand scheme of things, how important is it? Well, it's, it's pretty important to a lot of people. Um, and part of it is because it's, it's a community of, of people that get together. So that was emotional. Um, as for the bang origin, uh, I used to do it when I was in the stands as a Fordham student. Anytime a Fordham player hit a big shot, I'd yell bang. And it wasn't a three-point shot at the time, so it didn't matter what kind of shot it was. And I tried it on the air a little bit uh, doing radio. And at first, I just I didn't think it sounded right. I, I thought I needed to say it's good to make sure people knew that it was good. And on radio, I'm like, I don't know if it works. Um, so I shelved it for a while. And then when I started doing uh, some, some TV games uh, for high school game of the week and sports channel, I brought it back again and, and, and tried it. And I think, you know, that, that sounds, that sounds okay. And I liked it because I usually use it for a big basket and the crowd was very loud and I didn't have the strength. Uh, my voice wasn't strong enough to overcome the crowd. So I thought it was a great way to, to capture a big moment and then let the kind of the crowd uh, take over and just, kind of get out of the way and, and, and make that part of the whole soundtrack. I think it's such an interesting story too, because obviously you mentioned that you, you didn't love it on radio, but that it worked really well on television. I think that kind of is emblematic of a lot of the differences between those, those two mediums. And I wanted to ask from your perspective, kind of calling both basketball on the radio and television, kind of what you think are the main differences between those two that you've garnered over your career? Well, radio is much harder. Um, there's no question about it uh, because you have to paint the picture and, and, and that's the whole key. You've got to, you have to paint a picture for that listener who's at home and you're the one in charge. You're the screen for them. You're that TV screen uh, for the radio listener. Uh, so the play-by-play -play guy really has to take the lead on that. And I think it's important uh, for me was building the fundamental. It's like, it's like building a house. You need that strong foundation. And once you get that strong foundation, then you can kind of branch out. You can put on the addition to the house or the pool in the backyard or, or the basketball court up in the driveway. You need just that strong foundation of being able to paint a picture. Later on, you can bring in your personality. Um, you can add little uh, more colorful descriptions, et cetera. Uh, but that's the key. Your number one key is to let the, let the listener know exactly what's going on in the court exactly what the score is and how much time is left. Um, the TV is so much different and that the analyst really to me is, is the star of the TV. Hmm. And you set it up and you get a, more of a chance for storytelling. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest adjustment that anybody who does both has to do. When you're doing radio, you're in charge. When you're doing TV, you're kind of like just the distributor and letting the analyst explain the why as opposed to the what. Your foundation, of course, being in radio at WFUV. I'm curious how your experience in radio and doing the games at WFUV helped lay the foundation for the transition to TV into later on in your professional career. No, I mean, Nick, it's it, like I said, it's um, the radio is harder. If you can do radio, you can transition to TV. It's 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 much easier going there. You have to learn to talk less and give more time to your analysts. Uh, and, you know, th there are obviously a lot of subtle differences in terms of you don't state the obvious, um, but you still have to do a lot of the basic things the same. Uh, so being able to broadcast those games, and I had never done play by play before I went to FUV, uh, it just takes a long time to be good at it. 
And sometimes you go a long time and you still don't, it, you know, it might not be for you, but repetition is the most important thing. It's like anything that you do. The more you practice, the better you're going to get. Um, but I just know the first few games that I did and the first few games I did uh, were women's basketball games. And I had never uh, done a women's basketball game before. And I was blown away how good the players are. Um, but it just, I, I know I was terrible the first few games, but you, you get with it and you listen back and you have people critique it, which this the upperclassmen did. And uh, you just work on getting better. I, it, I do remember though, uh, and I, I, I can't recall if it was my first game or second, but it was one of the early ones. Fordham had a women's player named Ann Gregory. And yeah. she was one of the great women's college basketball players of all time. She was the all-time leading rebounder, not for Fordham, the all-time leading NCAA rebounder for many, many years. And the first game I did, she, she had like 39 points, 16 rebounds, something like that. And I remember saying to myself, wow, I had no idea how good these women were because I hadn't watched a lot of women's basketball. And ironically, um, doing that game and remembering her, Years later, her husband uh, turned out to be one of the, the great friends of my life, Jim O'Connell, the longtime AP Sports uh, uh, Hall of Fame writer, who everybody knew as Ock. Um, and at the time, he obviously wasn't married to her, but it just shows you how funny the business is full circle. Here, this guy turns out to be uh, my best friend of the first superstar athlete that I ever broadcast. It's funny you mentioned Ann Gregory because actually during the pandemic, we did an interview series with current Fordham women's basketball players talking to alumni Ann Gregory and a lot of the Rams of the 70s were, were one of those on that call and the stories were just so, so interesting. So it's funny you, you bring that up and something that you've kind of hit on repeatedly is, is the role of the analyst. That's what I wanted to ask you about as well is because you've obviously worked with many different analysts. So right now, Walt Clyde Frazier, uh, Jeff Van Gundy and, and Mark Jackson, some of the namely ones. And I'm just curious if you could describe your relationship with them and kind of what goes into preparing for a broadcast with each of them. Yeah, Alex, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I, I find it I find it fun to work with different analysts and because you learn different things from them. But it's also like anything, the more you work with somebody, the chemistry you develop is is incredible. And it's the most underrated part of, of broadcasting game telecasts. Uh, and when you have this comfort level with who you're working with, uh, it just makes your job so much easier. And I think the viewers at home feel that, that if you're on the same page, if you like each other, you can tell there's good chemistry. For me as a viewer, I love that. And I think for a key for me was every time I did a game with somebody for the first time, I'd make sure we sat down before and I would ask them what they like, what they disliked. Um, do they like if I asked direct questions on the air? Would they want me to first give them the question during a commercial so they'd have time to think of it? Or do they prefer the spontaneous question back and forth? So there's a lot of different ways to go. Um, but I would always tell them, listen, uh, especially when I was doing TV, I would tell the analyst, if you're in the middle of a story and a basket, basket is scored, don't stop expecting me to say so-and-so just scored. Just continue. You can make mention, oh, so-and-so just scored, and then continue the story. I said, the, the viewers can watch that at home. Uh, so don't worry about stepping on me. You, you do your thing and I'll fill it in. So different things like that. You discuss uh, what you like to do, what they like to do what they prefer to avoid. Um, I think of the whole key, like anything, is, is communication. And then the more you do games with those people, the better you get a feel for. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of a different approach. When I do games with Mark and Jeff, they don't use a lot of numbers. They go on feel, body language, and stories, and going back and forth with each other. So 
they're not stat heavy. So when I prepare for a game with them, I make sure I have more stats than normal, both on individual players and teams. When I do a game with UB Brown, UB bases so much of, of his analysis off numbers. So he uses a, a lot of numbers during a telecast. So the worst thing you can do, I think, is just throw too many numbers. So I'm, I back off on the numbers in my preparation and in my presentation because he's got that all covered. And I'll do maybe more storytelling uh, when I do a game that way. So you have to see the strengths and weaknesses um, or the likes of, of your analyst and you go according like that. But communication, Alex, is the number one thing. Have that talk. Sit down with your analyst uh, and ask him what he likes, uh, et cetera. Talked about a couple of your partners at ESPN. I wanted to ask you about Walt Clyde Frazier at MSG Networks as well. The opportunity to work with somebody for so long, a, a guy that you idolized growing up. It's, it's been one of the thrills of my life, not just the career, but my life. He is, um, you know, he's somebody that when I was a kid, I looked up to. Uh, there's a poster. Uh, my mother still lives in the house that I grew up in, in Yonkers. And we put up a poster back when I was probably 10. So that's 50 years ago. The poster is still up in the house. And he didn't believe me. So I had to take a picture of it and show it to him. Um, but when I first met him, you know, you, you hear Clyde and how cool he is. And, and you know, there's, there's nerves for me to meet him. It turns out he's fairly introverted uh, when he's away from the camera, when he's, when he's away from the court. And uh, for some reason, and, and Nick, you, you never know when this happened, we clicked right away and it, it just worked. Um, and, and to be able to, to go from being uh, somebody who I looked up to, he was one of my basketball idols, to then becoming someone that I worked with and become a longtime partner. And now this lifetime friendship, uh, it's beyond any, anything you can dream of. And he's also different. You know, what Alex was talking about with, with the uh, analyst, He's a complete different analyst in terms of how I do things. He wants you to ask questions. In fact, you have to kind of sometimes uh, push him to get into. Once he starts talking, he revels in that, telling old stories. And it took me a while to learn that he prefers to be asked the questions as opposed to bringing some of the stuff up on himself. And uh, his ability to, to talk about the old days with such pride, but at the same time, have such respect and admiration for today's players uh, sometimes unseen. You get some of the old players say, ah, oh, we were so much better. Uh, Clyde and Yubi's the same way. They, they've really grown with today's player and, and uh, adjusted to the way the game is played today. And we've talked a lot about calling the Knicks and approaching 30 seasons of it now. And I want to ask conversely about calling the NBA Finals because obviously you've called that a record number of times as well. And I'm really curious about just the scale of such an event and how you kind of approach that. And particularly when you go back to your first Finals, if you can remember that kind of your approach to that and how you've kind of grown with it in the time since. I was, I was scared stiff. Um, and it was, it was 2006. It was the, the um, Mavericks in the heat. And Yubi was my analyst. And um, I got a call from an ESPN executive like a week before. And he told me how I had to change the way I called the game in the finals. He said, you got to realize that this is not just your your, your rabid NBA fans that are watching. There are many casual fans who are going to be watching their first NBA game of the year, and you have to appeal to them too. So you have to explain things that you normally wouldn't explain. Now, this is all in my head, and I'm like, I got too many things going on. I'm like, I got to change the way I, I call the game. 
So I thought about it and all right, figured out ways to do it. And we start. And, and I was I was so nervous for, for that first finals game because when you walk out onto the court before finals game, you can't believe they they can fit that many people on the court. And I'm not talking about the players, media, fans, dignitaries. It's like it's overwhelming. And, and it still gives me butterflies. I still get nervous before every finals game. But this one, my nerves were off the charts. So we start the game and I'm trying to think, okay, casual fan, casual fan. Uh, how do I appeal to the casual fan? And I think like the first time a guy got fouled and went to the line, I'm saying, now I might be exaggerating, but it was in my head, this is what I was saying. Now, when a player gets fouled, he gets to the free throw line where he gets two shots without any defense. I mean, it just sounded ridiculous. And Yubi's looking at me like, oh my goodness. And he knew I was so nervous. And we had already had a great relationship. So we go to the first time out and Yubi grabs my arm really strong. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, kid, just call the game the way you always do. And that completely relaxed me. I went from being like a bundle of nerves to like, okay, I'm just going to call the game. And after that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I made my share of mistakes, uh, but it really settled me down. And every year it's gotten a little easier with the nerves, but I, I tell you guys every year before game one, the butterflies are there. And I think when the butterflies are gone, that's when it's going to be time to go away. You mentioned the butterflies for calling the NBA finals. I would be curious what the butterflies were like for the first Knicks game that you ever called. And if I had told you back then that you'd be doing this for 30 years, you would say what? I say no, there's no shot. There's no shot. It's, it's the ultimate dream come true uh, to call the, the games for, for now, as you say, for, for 30th year, it's, it's, it's still, to me, it's still hard to, to believe uh, whether it's calling the finals, whether it's calling Nick games that, that I've been given this, this honor and this responsibility. Um, because back then, you know, I was confident that I could do the job and FUV started to build that confidence in me when I was at Fordham. And then when I was doing high school games for various uh, smaller radio stations or, or other networks, you know, you build that confidence. So you feel you can do it. But there's always that doubt. Are you good enough? Are you good enough? And I remember the, the, the very first Nick game I did the night before I had a dream. And I've actually had this dream quite a bit over time. I say I have it maybe once a year where I'm sitting down at the table and the two teams come out on the court for the game. And I don't recognize a single player. Not, there's not one player on the floor who I have in my charts. And it's almost game time. And it's like, oh, my goodness. It's like, what am I going to do? And somebody hands me a sheet with the, the new roster. That's the, the, the dream I have per periodically. And that's just, you know, I'm preparation obsessed. So that's the one that comes out every once in a while. Fortunately for my first Nick game, um, that didn't happen. But the first <laughs> Nick Road game I was in Atlanta. And we weren't traveling with the team. And so I got on a commercial flight, fly into Atlanta, get in the cab. And I knew the hotel the Knicks were staying. It was at a Ritz-Carlton. They stay in great hotels. So I get in the cab, and it, I was told it was about a 20-minute ride. But now I'm in the cab for like 45 minutes, almost an hour, and we pull up to the Ritz-Carlton. And I go in, and I give them my name, and I'm just like, we have no reservation for you. I had been given – I went to the wrong Ritz-Carlton. That was way outside of downtown. So now I have to get back in and go to – so like everything to start just added to my nerves and um, you got you so nervous. But once you get going, you know, and again, if, if you're prepared, 
uh, and you get start to call a game, it, it gets better. But I know those first couple of games must have been uh, pretty horrific. Listen, uh, I was I was a bundle of nerves. You talk about the importance of, of preparation. It's kind of one of the one of the last questions I wanted to ask was when you think about you know where you are now as a Hall of Fame broadcaster to where you were then calling games in the Roseville gym. What's what's kind of been the main lesson you've learned over that years that you would share with kind of aspiring broadcasters or those coming to Fordham today? Well, there's, there's so much to, to talk about on that, Alex, but I'll, I'll give you one thing that has really stuck through. And, and when, you, when you're prepared, when you go on the air, when you feel like you have both teams covered, where you know enough about both teams, both team-wise and individual-wise, um, it just gives you confidence and just to worry about the game because you have all your notes, you have all your preparation done. And the way I've always thought about it is, I'd say there are 13 players who are eligible every night to play in an NBA game. Um, you have to have, if any of those 13 players has their career night, it might be the 13th guy who never plays, but because it's a 35 point blowout, he's playing the whole fourth quarter and he's scoring more points in those 12 minutes than he's had his entire career. You have to have um, enough prepared for every single player in case they have the career night in terms of background of their career, personal anecdotes, stuff like that. So if you feel confident going in that you have something on every player, that gives you that confidence. But the number one thing about preparation is don't try and force it in. Don't try and jam it in. Um, let the game dictate what you're gonna use on the air. Dick Stockton, who I think is one of the all-time great broadcasters, you know, obviously Marv was an enormous influence on me, but Dick Stockton was also another one of the greats who, who really influenced me. And I remember going into a game one time and I had all my notes out and, you know, my charts and he's doing the game for TNT and he, looking at his notes and he doesn't have a lot of notes, just has a couple of things scribbled down on the game notes. And he looked at me, he says, he goes, I, I respect uh, all the notes and all the preparation you have. He says, just remember, you're not going to be able to see the game if you're looking down on the notes. He goes, let the, let the game dictate. It's still all about the game. Use the notes to enhance the game. And it was great, great advice uh, because it taught me just because you do the preparation doesn't mean you have to get it all in there. Uh, you have to let the game dictate what you use in terms of all the notes that you have. Mike, thanks again for doing this. We appreciate you taking all the time. I want to wrap up on, on this one. If you had an opportunity, as you do in, in talking to us and others, college students, young broadcasters who want to get into the industry, is there a most important piece of advice that you felt helped you throughout your journey? Well, I, I think um, for me, you know, sports, I grew up in a family of six boys, so sports was, it was not the... Uh, it was not an option. It was a, it was a priority in the house. And so I love sports. So to get into a field that I love so much, I think that's, that's important because you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit tough stretches. Uh, you're going to hit failures. And if you don't love what you're doing, it's going to be hard to bounce back from those. It's going to be hard to fight through uh, the adversity in the difficult time. So the first piece of advice I always give is, Pick something that you think you're going to love to do, that it's going to mean everything to you, because when you do get knocked down, you're going to want to get right back up because it's, it's something that you love. Um, and I think, you know, for young broadcasters, I would say find people who are going to tell you the truth. Uh, find people who are going to tell you, OK, you're doing really well here, but this needs this needs some work. 
because the last thing you need to hear is, oh, you did a great job. Mom and dad are going to tell you that all the time. And that's wonderful. But you need somebody who's going to be honest with you and critique you. And, and I did that early on. I had several different people who I knew were going to be honest with me and made me better because they did tell me what I wasn't doing properly or what I wasn't doing as well as I should be. Um, so I, I think that's important, too, is because you're going to self-critique yourself, you know, self-critique any tape that you have. And you're going to be hard on yourself, but you need other people to tell you as well, because sometimes it's, it's good to hear from, from people. There's so many things we could, we could talk for hours on, on that kind of stuff, but those are just some of the things that come to mind right now. He is the voice of the NBA on ESPN, TV voice of the Knicks on MSG Networks, entering his 30th season as an NBA broadcaster, Fordham class of 1983. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, when I was at FUV, you, you felt this, this responsibility to keep the standard because there were so many terrific college broadcasters before us when we were there. And you really felt this responsibility to, to keep the name of FUV high up there. And uh, I want to thank you guys for doing that as well. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I'm so proud and impressed by, by you two and, and by everybody over the last several years. I get to listen quite a bit. And it's uh, we're keeping that keeping the standard of excellence at FUV. So thank you guys as well. Wrapping up off the air, diving into the legacy of WFUV sports, Nick DeLuca joined by Alex Wolves. Alex, a fantastic conversation with Mike Breen. So many stories about any number of things and so interesting to get his perspective on his time at Fordham and beyond. Yeah, and just a lot of fun, and we appreciate Mike obviously taking the time and sitting down with us and sharing a lot of those stories and the memories. Really, it's incredible how deep they go back. You know, my dad makes fun of me. I don't remember things that happened a week ago, but you have stories from 40 years ago that, that still stick with you. And just incredible. You know, a lot of them, like we said at the, off the top, a lot of them are the same experiences of just getting those butterflies before calling your first game and, and that constant willingness to improve. But, you know, a lot of them different at the time, FUV being a student-run station, some of the unique components of that, and just hearing all of that comprise into, into this one interview and everything he experienced at FUV and then beyond and just all those journeys along the way. Really fascinating to learn about. And again, just a huge thanks to Mike for, for sharing them with us. And I was really interested to hear any number of stories about why you wanted to be a broadcaster coming to WFUV, the Michael K story, meeting him and getting acquainted with all his friends and how that really turned things around for him. But the thing that I found most interesting, and I'll see if you agree with me here, was that story about hosting overnight the night that John Lennon was killed and just the stories that he was able to tell and the emotion and everything that went into that for somebody that you associate with sports and in particular basketball for him to have that memory and for that to stick out for him to me was significant. And I also think it's something similar to what we've had at the station, actually, because when I think about some of the most special moments I had here, the one I always think about for, for a tragic reason is when Kobe Bryant passed away. And it's kind of a different example of that. But I was in the studio when that happened. And it was something that you're never going to forget where you are. And I think even you know, the follow-up question in the pandemic is the same type of thing. You know, you get that broader perspective, as he mentioned. And I think, and sometimes that can push you away from sports, but at the same time, I think it can bring you back to it because you kind of realize sports is this magnifying lens into what life is really all about. And in that moment with John Lennon's an example of it, this pandemic is an example of it. And I think just a moment like that really sticking out to him emphasizes just how special sports is. And again, having those fans back and now getting back to business this year, just so many different components of that to, to unpack and a really special story that he shared with us. And you know, the two of us really like to nerd out about broadcasting and what <laughs> goes into it and to learn all of that stuff and no better person to learn from than Mike Breen, but just 
him going into the details of the differences between radio and TV and how radio really helped him in TV and how he felt like if you're doing radio, the transition is to just talk a little bit less. And then also knowing your analyst and how important that was for him, the differences between working with Stan Van Gundy and Mark Jackson and Hubie Brown and Walt Clyde Frazier and the thrill that that was for him. Just so interesting to get his insights on just the nuts and bolts of broadcasting. And I think it gives you, I don't know if you feel the same way, a sense of gratitude for what we're able to do here. Because at the same time, I've always been thankful we have a radio backing here. Because like he said, radio is always the toughest hill to climb at the beginning. And when you start with that and you can overcome that, you can do anything. And we have the radio backing here. We have the television backing and the great work with Fordham Athletics. And we're able to do interviews and experience all of these things. So like he said, he felt he had a head start when he came out, whether it's true or not, whole different conversations, a lot of other great programs in the country, but he had that head start because of his experience at FUV and just really, really grateful that we have that as well. And we're able to get those nuts and bolts at such an early age and get the insight from people like Mike as well on how to do it properly. And I'd also just throw out, really loved hearing that story, his dream before the first game <laughs> of the NBA finals, first time in 2006 and Hubie Brown grabbing his arm and that whole situation where he was just going in depth and trying to explain the rules of basketball, but him overcoming the nerves and the journey that he has been on, even after getting to the pinnacle of calling the NBA finals, it's been a constant evolution for him as he's grown over the years. We've heard a similar story too. I can't remember now who it was, but talking about covering the experience of the Olympics, I actually think it might've been Bruce Beck who brought this up. And it was about how, you know, when you call, when you cover the Olympics for NBC sports, it's no different than calling or covering a local high school event. It's still the same, the who's, the what's, the where's, the wins, the important things. And if you have that as the backing, whether you're on an Olympic stage, whether you're at the, the Rose Hill gym in this instance, th those fundamentals don't change. And I think for Mike, he brought up the great point, you know, you can have all your notes, you can have all your preparation, but the game's always in front of you and always keep your eyes ahead of you. I think that's something so important to remember in broadcasting when we can get bogged down in the details all the time. And, and Mike just providing so much clarity on that with, with, like you said, a really great story too. I'm also happy. He mentioned the story about, you know, the different team walking out on the court, not having the notes. I hope we never have to experience that. And that, that stays just a dream as well. That would be good. I, I would prefer them not <laughs> change the rosters before the game and you don't know anybody who's on there, but certainly a fun time. Awesome to be able to spend a few minutes with Mike Green. So gracious with, with his availability and it was great to have him on. The voice of the NBA on ESPN, TV voice of the Knicks on MSG, 30th season as a broadcaster in the NBA, the Fordham class of 1983, wrapping up this edition of the Off the Air podcast. Nick DeLuca and Alex Wolves, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts for the Off the Air podcast, right here detailing the legacy of WFUV Sports.